Yeah, I really like this one. For me, this was a 1 out of 10. I hate how cute he is. I was very confused. It actually made me uncomfortable. This was like borderline offensive, if not offensive to me. Yucky. It gave me some spooky vibes. <laughs> I have nothing to say about this. I actually <laughs> feel like crying. <laughs> I thought it was so awkward. This just wasn't good. I don't remember how his face looks, and I didn't laugh a whole lot. It just felt like a forest awkward thing that I didn't care for. It was all over the place for me. It just wasn't good. Felt like I was walking through mud trying to get through this episode. I didn't notice. It's S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt, D, and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith, D, and Matt. Episode 5 of NBC's Saturday Night, better known as Saturday Night Live, featuring Robert Klein, ABBA, and Loudon Wainwright III, originally aired on November 15th, 1975. And of course, as always, joining me are Matt and D. Hello, Matt and D. Hello, Keith. I can't wait to enjoy this episode with Robert Klein. I bet it's going to be one of the best episodes we've seen yet. I'm really looking forward to it. Hello. <laughs> and how are you feeling tonight? I feel like a million bucks. I'm Sweet. feeling swell. I'm feeling so good. A little bit of a ska on this one, a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. ABBA's appearance was insisted by the network. This was not something Lauren Michaels wanted. I guess that's why it felt so awkward then. <laughs> oh, there's more coming, <laughs> too, yeah. And uh, early in the week of uh, production, NBC took away two of Michaels' techs, a lighting tech and a sound tech, who he was quite fond of. And uh, in protest of this, Michaels actually quit the show and walked out and went home for several days without returning. That's some drama. Yeah, and I, I, he got his techs back, though. He got, he got them back, but uh, he was not happy that NBC just sort of whisked them away and put them on another project. Fresh show. You're working for the man. He wanted the best. Yeah. So the show begins as Chevy Chase interviews Sherry. Uh, Lorraine Newman has a character, Sherry, that does pop up quite a bit, and, and I, I assume it's the same Sherry, but this Sherry is the winner of the Miss American pageant, or Miss American pageant, and she's a, uh, a valley girl type who refuses to take the title due to not liking the idea of pageants. Chevy then falls off the stage, and we get our Live from New York, it's Saturday night. For me, this was a 1 out of 10. I don't, I'm not really loving the openings of this show in general, just from the very beginning. I hate how cute he is. That's the only thing that carries me through the openings, is that I think he is adorable. It didn't really do anything for me. Maybe I just didn't get the humor because I didn't really ever watch pageants as I was growing up. I don't know. I thought it was Chebby's physical humor is growing on me. Uh, like the more I watch him, the, the more I kind of laugh, like, the, you know, the first couple of times. And you know what? I'm finding this with a couple of things in the show, actually. I'll, I'll try to remember to mention them as they occur. But it, it's one of the recurring gags that I actually didn't laugh at, you know, very much the first time. But subsequent times I've seen it, I was like, huh, it's growing on me. It's, it's funny. I thought it was OK. It, you know, it's a testament to this episode. It was fine. This fall looked bad. Like, not poorly done. Um, that was concrete. You know, this was not a comfortable fall. I didn't notice. Yeah, he went right on the concrete. But it's controlled. I mean, he he's, he obviously knows what he's doing, you know. But uh, my goodness, that uh, that didn't that didn't look comfortable. Chevy taking bumps. Bumping for the industry that made him. <laughs> <laughs> in some ways, my favorite part of the episode comes up. Don Pardo announces the cast and the uh, musical guest and the host. Also announces No Film by Albert Brooks. That was That was nice. I got a good rise out of that. I was very confused. I, I was like, are we, we really don't have to sit through one? Yeah, I was. I felt a little teased. I was like, this, is this a tease? I don't know what's coming. Maybe it's a it, tease. It could have been, you know, it could have been a tease. You're right. I do have a little bit more information, too, about paid by the minute thing. And I, and I think you'd be interested to hear this, uh, Matt and Dean, okay. but especially Matt. So, yeah, Albert Brooks was paid by the minute. He was paid $1,000 per minute. The heart surgery movie was 13 minutes long. It was supposed to air first. Lauren Michaels said the agreement was movies between three and five minutes i'm not airing this one the third episode when the film actually did air was hosted by rob reiner who was a very good friend of albert brooks and insisted that the movie was shown so that's what's going on there 
like, I don't like this comedy politics, and I just, I really don't think these Albert Brooks movies are worth it if Rob Reiner's throwing his weight around for his buddy. I mean, I yeah. get it. I, if I had weight to throw around for a buddy, I'd do it. But I also wouldn't, you know, I guess some people just think Albert Brooks is funnier than I do. And so I, maybe that's just a realization I have to come to as well. And and, and he's just a funny guy. Like like we've said, you know, he, he's he's got his talents, but this format is just not, not it. Right. Robert Klein didn't invent, but certainly updated observational humor. And while Klein might not be the household name that some of his contemporaries are, he's a huge influence on a lot of people we do know today. Guys like Bill Maher, Richard Lewis, Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld. In what research I've done and what I've read about Klein over the years, he sort of seems like a guy that was sort of caught between generations. Like he's only two or three years older than Chevy Chase. So he seems sort of stuck there uh, in this weird generation between the old you know, borscht belt guys with the tuxedos and then the uh, the Priors and Carlins, even though he actually is, is younger than those guys. And like Albert Brooks, uh, Robert Klein was another guy who was courted to be a, a full-time host for the show. His 1975 album, New Teeth, was his latest big release. And uh, Klein comes out and does some observational humor. Uh, he talks a bit about animals. First of all, uh, I, I'm fine. I know I've read that some people don't like when uh, when the monologue is quote-unquote stand-up. They all kind of are in their weird way, but you know what I mean. Uh, I'm fine with that. I think they'll really drift away from that, and and, and, and uh, especially today, they're nothing like that at all, unless they have a stand-up comedian come out. I, I think it's uh, I think I, li- I like the format. I think it fits in well with the monologue. I didn't really know a lot about Robert Klein other than who he was. His comedy itself, uh, I liked it. I, you know, I laughed more than most of the other monologues so far, I think. But, you know, it's it's still, it's not sealing the, the deal for me as far as this is a successful monologue. This is a successful host. It's um, something missing. I guess I find it a bit pedestrian. I get it. It's fine. But uh, it's not the hot start to the show that that I guess I need. Um, in my notes, I rated this 7 out of 10. Uh, first of all, because it is still relevant. Like a lot of these jokes, you can still tell today. And they would still make me laugh. I don't know if he has anything to do with any cartoon bears. But why is this man so good at impersonating cartoon bears? <laughs> What's going on there? Very nice voice. I noticed that he had a, a good voice. And then I wrote down that his chimp jokes were not funny yeah i liked it robert klein for me is not a guy that always jumps in my head as being one of the uh one of the greats sorry i have to look up if he was a cartoon bear because <laughs> <laughs> was he just phased out like too like just surprisingly quickly was he like you know how christopher cross was a hit and then he was gone Did no I say phased out. but i mean i remember seeing robert klein do stuff in the you know in the 90s and early 2000s Oh, that's not like Christopher Cross at all, no. No. His material wasn't controversial the way, you know, like Carlin and Pryor's was. It wasn't your sort of stand-up, tell-a-joke, waka-waka, Henny Youngman stuff either. He was kind of in the middle, almost Cosby-esque, if I'm still allowed to use that word. Uh, I feel like we're tiptoeing around the fact that this guy's really mediocre. Like, he could have been anybody at any um, stand-up club in my city. Yeah. It's just yeah, it's so plain yeah. it's boring he's fine we're all just but like digging for something exciting to say and it's not <laughs> you know, you know, you know what though exciting. i think it doesn't bring it it's really hard for me to to put a finger on it and then also too just so much time has passed like people nowadays have no idea how big a star bob newhart was you know what's bob newhart there you go yeah here you go here's here's who he is and this i don't know i don't know comic tastes or whatever in some ways, he's Ray Romano if Ray Romano never got Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh. And uh, Robert Klein had HBO's first comedy special, if that can put it in a perspective, too. That's pretty neat. That's, that's yeah. cool trivia. That is cool. Yeah. People that adored Robert Klein did better than Robert Klein. <laughs> Fair. Richard Lewis is actually a great example. You know, Richard Lewis is well-known comedian to people who follow comedy and then some, but he's not the first name that pops in your head when you think stand-up. Gotcha. So he's one of these things, like they say, Richard Lewis is your, you know, your com- favorite comedian's favorite comedian. Or, or even yeah. I've also heard that Lou Reed is your favorite rock star's favorite rock star. Yeah, I get it. I get yeah. that. Cool. So Klein throws to the Titanic, where he plays the captain of the Titanic, a sinking Titanic, who introduces ABBA, and ABBA sings uh, S.O.S., 
And during this bit, there's this fancy dinner with, uh, you know, Garrett Morris and Mike O'Don- Michael O'Donohue and, and Ann Beats and a couple of other writers and such sitting around. Um, and as ABBA sings, uh, the, the ship is sinking. Um, this was surreal to me. It was surreal. I loved it. Here's why. I think this was, this is classic weird SNL. <laughs> ABBA is playing their weird Swedish hybrid disco on the Titanic as it sinks, and SNL is treating it like a comedy sketch. It was. It was. It's off. It's strange. It's bizarre. It's not for everyone. I. I thought. I loved watching this. <laughs> And there was vengeance here, too. They didn't want ABBA on the show. Michael O'Donoghue put them on the Titanic so he could be the one to sink ABBA. <laughs> it works for me. It was, like I said, it's that classic SNL weirdness. That, yeah, uh, yeah, this is, it's super weird. Twilight um, Zone vibes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a little petty, too. Um, but we'll talk about that a bit more in the second one, um, when ABBA comes back towards the end of the show. Are they playing live? Because they made we'll a joke. I don't. I don't know if it was the first time or the second time that they're they're second. they're not. Second time. We'll talk about that one. Okay. They are playing live, but they have a backing track for this one. Gotcha. So then we go to our next segment. It's the Pong guys, Al Franken and Tom Davis. We've seen these guys before. Matt was not a fan. In this one, same idea. They're talking a midterm assignment in this one. Davis appears to have done well. Franken has done poorly. And Davis gets the lead by distracting Franken. How did this one go for you? Any changes in opinion, Matt? Not really. I think this is such a missed opportunity. This is what a fun sketch idea, watching these guys play Pong and have like a complex conversation and being able to see the contents of their complex conversation play out in something as visually basic as Pong. What a great concept. But you gotta write some fucking jokes for it. This isn't funny. Al Franken's a funny guy later, so, you know, it's not like he's comedically incapable. I don't think there's jokes here. And the jokes that are here, they're not they're not doing it well enough with the visual element of the gag. I think this is lazy. I guess I feel about the same. I thought it was simple. I did think it was funny. The actual visual of them playing Pong on the screen if you had taken away their conversation, I think it would still be funny to me just the way it looks like you can see the other person faltering. It's like the jokes take away from that visual. They don't work well together. The jokes and the visuals aren't mm-hmm. working for me. I, I get what they're coming from, and I think the idea is sound. And, you know, I, I was being a bit hyperbolic, but the, the I don't think the jokes are there, and uh, I think it's a great idea. They're not pulling it off for me. I didn't notice the first time, but this time I watched closely, and yes, Al Franken scores way too many times. Yeah, he does score an awful lot. Like, it starts mm-hmm. to feel like it's constant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So our next one is the Minute Mystery, and the characters are Mike Mendoza, the crime photographer, played by Dan Aykroyd, and Officer Lopez, played by John Belushi. Yeah, it was fun for me. There's a lot of little things in here that you could talk about. Funniest part was Don Pardo, when he's like, who is the murderer? And it's him just speaking for a few seconds there. That was really, really funny for me. I I enjoyed the sketch as well. I like a lot of the times, and I know I've said it before, I'll probably keep saying it. uh, Sometimes I feel like the not ready for prime time players really don't get enough of the airtime on the show. Time will make them stars. Yeah, I really like this one. The way Aykroyd was taking pictures of the corpse and being like work it girl yeah you're beautiful um <laughs> uh, corpse lorraine newman when they uh, when belushi and Aykroyd interrogate chase and he's like uh yeah 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 my, my alibi uh yeah i got an alibi i was killing my mistress and uh, <laughs> time elapsing and mike's camera gets stolen and then comedy ensues as they say yeah this was really good this was a strong one for me our next bit is the b centennial minute garrett morris as a b gives bee history. He talks about a bee that is involved uh, in, in a battle with George Washington. This was short, it was filler, but, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of enjoyed it. Garrett Morris makes a good bee as well. That was absolutely hilarious, especially when the bee gets crushed. <laughs> and, he, and Garrett's just like, and that's the way it was 200 years ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it made me laugh more than anything else on this episode, I think, Will. It was cute. I liked it too. Uh, you know, I, I actually think as I, I'm, I'm remembering it now, I, 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 it's one of those things that I, I like it more in hindsight almost. I, I don't even think I barely, I barely laughed at it at the time. I'm probably like sensible chuckle. Uh, but when I look back at it, I smile. Gary Morris is just good at this. He's got, I love his delivery. He's got the great delivery. He feels like a bee. I love it. He bee. has bee vibes. I'm not going to lie. Shit. He has bee vibes. He's like <laughs> done. He's just here to talk about how it was 200 years ago as a bee. 
thing I really liked about Garrett Morris's delivery in this and, and in a lot of other stuff he does, there's a great deadpan there where he's not, uh, you know, he's not playing it for laughs. And that's what I really like. So far, Morris is, is very good at that. Now I want more Garrett Morris. Like whenever I, I really feel that the, my favorite moments of the show are always coming from the ensemble cast. Our next bit is uh, Loudon Wainwright III. Um, he sings his song Bicentennial, talking about how wonderful America, the country is. And he lists a bunch of heroes, including Jack Ruby, and then sings about a bunch of mundane stuff in the States that are just simply wonderful and great. I felt very positive about this. I think it was one of my preferred musical performances to date. A great voice. I'm not familiar with uh, Loudon at all, uh, really. Again, other than knowing in general who he is. I never really listened. I never looked it up. I never got into it. Uh, But I'm certainly curious now. I'm going to check some stuff out. I thought this was a great performance. So much energy, some very smart lyrics, uh, and I, I thought, I don't, do you know who Jonathan Richmond is? I feel like those, like I felt like Jonathan Richmond, Modern Lovers vibes a little bit here. Sometimes works for me. Thumbs up. Oh my god, it was ten out of ten for me. I absolutely loved it. It is my kind of music. Uh, I'm surprised I've never heard of him before. I don't know why I haven't, but I'm glad that I watched this just so that I could know about him. If you've ever listened to the Mountain Goats, he's very much giving me Mountain Goats vibes, like singing about very mundane things, but making it feel so good. Like I can picture myself singing along to this and absolutely just vibing to it. The energy was there and that's always what I'm looking for out of my music on SNL because uh, that keeps me engaged and he kept me so engaged and he was really cute. I like his approach to folk, if I can put it that way. Um, he's he's like a Bob Dylan or an Arlo Guthrie with the tongue in his cheek. It was a lot of fun. And the, the beaming sarcasm coming off him was just palpable. I really enjoyed it. I did watch some of the audience during this, and uh, they didn't seem to like it. So some of them were confused, I think, some of the audience members. I guess it's hard to tell if he is just doing a comedy thing or if he's seriously singing that song. And I feel like you need to understand that maybe it's both or neither. There there are deeper points to these songs, I think. But Mm -hmm. also, they're just really, really fun to listen to. Our next bit is uh, Greg Allman's Love Life. A virtually unrecognizable Chevy Chase sits at a piano as a disembodied voice keeps asking him about his love life. And that voice is the Saturday Night Live performance debut of Lorne Michaels. Allman, who in real life had just split up with Cher, discusses his love life a little bit, won't talk about it. And uh, every time he answers the question about his love life, it's uh, he answers less and less positively. I enjoyed this one. I, I mean, it was short. It wasn't the best, but I liked it. And uh, I was kind of amazed how much of a chameleon Chevy Chase could be. It's definitely not the worst bit of what I felt was filler material. I laughed. I didn't know that it was Lorne Michaels who was speaking there. So that is interesting information to me. This this was great for Chevy. And again, I, as I mentioned, show thinks he's a star. I think the sketches like this are treating him like a star. You know, he's getting his own bits a little more frequently. Cool trivia about Lorne Michaels. Uh, good jokes about Greg Allman. This one's a win for me. And a little epilogue on that one. Uh, Cher and Greg Allman actually did reconcile soon after the skit aired, and they stayed together until 1979. At which point, I believe she began dating Mr. Simmons. Perhaps Simmons. so. Yeah. Yeah. That's another would podcast. Would have been around that time, yeah. The next skit, uh, this one was actually, uh, I, I took some time to go to the uh, a few websites, and one that I did find is the uh, SNL transcripts, and I'll put a link to that in the description. And I've been looking at some of the transcripts, mainly because some of the scripts actually have who wrote the script in there, so Ooh. it might be nice to track that as we go. Very. This one, the Sam Peckinpah is credited to Belushi himself. Gilda Radner and Robert Klein play actors working for Sam Peckinpah, who was known for his violent films, The Wild Bunch being the one that I've seen the most. But this time, Mr. Peckinpah is directing a romantic comedy. Peckinpah gets them rolling, and uh, and he keeps cutting them because they're just not quite right. And when he cuts it, he slaps or kicks Gilda Radner while being verbally pleasant to her. Um, and this continues until... Peckinpah has a note for Klein, and Klein gives it to uh, gives it to Sam Peckinpah, and then the take is good. Um, I didn't like this one, not just the violence necessarily, um, which again would make it probably not suitable for air, but uh, I just uh, this didn't time right for me, and uh, I didn't like it too too much. 
I didn't like this. It actually made me uncomfortable. I mean, the physical abuse in that industry, especially with actresses at that time, I don't know how it aired then and it wouldn't air today. It just wasn't funny. It was, I don't get offended easily, I would like to think, but this was like borderline offensive, if not offensive to me. This is tone deaf almost even for the era. We just had Candace Bergen on the show talking about, you know, this big important vote for women. Then the very next week they put this on air. That's horse shit. This sketch is horse shit. I can't imagine behind the scenes that everybody's okay with this. I'm sure somebody wasn't. I feel bad for Gilda being in that position. Like, because I don't know how she felt. Didn't read anything about it. But if I was in that position, I would feel like, yeah, I have to play this role. Because I'm not literally being abused, but it's still an uncomfortable comfortable position to be in to be written into that position the the silver lining for me is is how good gilda was uh, she was fantastic at the for the lack of a better term selling she shined through and was actually the star where the other two were definitely lost in the uh, lost in the shuffle lost in their weird women hating fantasy <laughs> <laughs> tone deaf it's weird it's I'm and rating just, uh, it yucky. Yeah, it is yucky. And this is actually something I was thinking about last night just while I was thinking about today's episode. A lot of the time, for me anyway, when I say it wouldn't make air today, it doesn't necessarily mean I don't like the skit, if that makes sense. Yeah, I totally get what you mean, sure. In this case, I don't like the skit. <laughs> yeah, I agree <laughs> with both points. The other bit, too, that sort of hit me last night as well, my mind says the writers wrote it, Michaels approved it and it aired, but there were still three or four more channels it had to go through, censors, um, network, sponsors sometimes, before it actually made air. So it's not just the writers and directors saying, okay, it's all these other people too saying, yeah, sure, that's all right, let's put that through. That's just enabling misogyny. I mean, a lot is just being enabled at this point in time. And and again, it was, uh, you know, we're talking almost 50 years ago, too, where sensibilities were certainly different. But a big part of the show is actually tracking those sensibilities. Yeah, exactly. So we are now at Weekend Update. I think this was the best Weekend Update yet. The big hit for me on this one, just because we certainly know different, is is Chevy wishing his girlfriend a happy 17th birthday. His, his girlfriend, uh, Jacqueline Carlin, has appeared on the show, and we've actually seen this woman, and the picture of her, she's obviously not 17, but that one got a good chuckle out of me. That was funny to me. It might be the only laugh that I got out of it, though. The wrestled X to the ground, like, I'm so burned out on that already. <laughs> yeah. Saturday Night Live loves to beat jokes into the ground sometimes, Uh, (laughs) wrestle them to the ground, if you will. I kind of mentioned earlier, Chevy Chase, in a weird way, is growing on me. His physical humor is growing on me in a way that I was like, yeah, I get it the first time. And for whatever reason, the more I see it, the more I'm laughing at it. They are selling him well as the star. I'm buying it. The, The Ford jokes don't do it for me. Chevy does. The joke about his 17-year-old girlfriend was a great laugh. Uh, I continue to not have a problem with Garrett Morris. I think Garrett Morris shouting is hilarious. Did you notice that Chevy cracked up a bit as he announced Garrett Morris? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It's just funny. (laughs) It works every time for me. It hasn't failed yet. Matt starts laughing as soon as Garrett's (laughs) face comes on the screen during this segment, like the second before anything is even said. (laughs) A lot of the secret is just how much Morris has given it, too. He's... He's given it all, given it as all. Um, the other bit on this that kind of fell flat for me was uh, Dan Aykroyd come out as Frank Talenko doing an editorial reply. And uh, again, Chase was sort of sitting behind him mocking him and like playing with the uh, electric razor and stuff like that. So I do think it's important to mention how much I disliked it. Yeah. The editorial replies like, you know, the the weekend update guests are going to become really good. And, you know, some of them are legendary. I'm not trying to compare episode five to something that they'll go on to do for 20 years and become seasoned and good at. There's going to be a maybe a learning curve. But I mean, the same writers aren't there all the time. So get, get the formula correct. I, I was really excited when this started because i thought oh i love when weekend update does stuff like this and then it was just chevy chase fucking around uh so it was uh, i got my hopes up really for this one when it started and then i was just like oh is this all it is that's not funny and in the midst they have the jam it all commercial with george Coe and jane Curtin. talk about how busy jane Curtin is and still looks great and it's all because of jam it all as jane Curtin slowly descends into sleep Someone gave me some spooky vibes. How so? Um, I'm not sure. I just wrote it down in my notes that it gave me some spooky vibes. I rated it (laughs) 6 out of 10 because 
I think, again, I'm getting burned out on certain things, and I think Jay Matala is going to be one of them. Our next sketch is The Exterminators with John Belushi and Robert Klein in full fatigues, essentially sort of doing a war parody with a basement full of cockroaches. Klein's character is reluctant to kill. Belushi's brother was killed by a cockroach. It leads into this retrospective about the cockroach and how long it's been alive um, as it shows a cockroach walking in front of a bunch of pictures depicting historic landmarks and events. I rated this one a solid meh. Me too. You know, it just didn't land for me. I get the premise. Of course I get the premise. It's not like it's rocket science. Yeah, I just didn't find it was funny. I, I kind of mentioned it at the beginning uh, of the episode. This episode from, you know, the Pong thing, you know, some skits during Weekend Update. A lot of it just doesn't land for me this episode. It's just like they're, they're doing the same formula. They're not doing anything differently. They're not reinventing the wheel. Just still doing exactly the same thing. I just really think this is an off week. Uh, I blame the perhaps pervasive mediocrity of Robert Klein for just seeping throughout the rest of the (laughs) cast and crew. I'm just kidding, Mr. Klein. Just so ho-hum. This whole episode is so ho-hum for me, and this sketch is no exception. This sketch really typifies it for me, actually. It's just, I thought it was boring. If they had cut it down to just the spot where the cockroach was walking across the screen uh was it like against maps or different times i don't remember the eternal crawl that was funny to me if it was just left at that it would have been hilarious but it was it was way too deep and went on for too long and they are building a universe that i do not want to be involved in in this sketch I enjoyed the little cockroach bit, and had it been just the eternal crawl, I might have might have enjoyed it a lot more. Um, our next one is a our next bit is another a Chiron. Um, the individual in the audience has met Martin Milner, who uh, I didn't know the name offhand. I had to look it up. Star of Route 66 and Adam 12. Um, so another one of those that just kind of falls flat. Um, and not just because of the uh, datedness of the humor. Our next bit is uh, Gilda Radner as a firefighter. This one was written by Radner and. Uh, Alan Zweibel, who was a a sort of a young apprentice writer in the writing room on the first year and stuck around for a bit. We've seen him in a few commercials as well so far. Radner talks about firefighting and gives some fire tips. You know, there was nothing special about this, but I really, really liked it. She's good. She's uh, she's a pleasure to watch. I think she's a she's a good actress. But, uh, you know, and uh, again, I don't like the jokes. I always thought it was pronounced Zweibel. Tepid responses from me. She tried, but it wasn't funny. It wasn't good for me. A good performer with no jokes. Yeah, two out of ten. Okay, then we go to the Muppets again. Um, In this one, King Plubus has a headache. His wife tries to cure. She sings to try to cure it, makes it worse, and they do some acupuncture. Um, Again, same old, same old from the Muppets. Did not like it. Waste of my time. Yeah, not these continue to not work for me. Let me ask you a question before I start. You know what? Before I start, I don't really have much to say that I haven't said already about these Muppet sketches. Did Henson sign a contract? Is is that why they just keep rolling these out? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I hope it expires. Uh, there's promise in the concept of uh, late night edgier Muppets. But, uh, I don't know. You know, Henson's not uh, some great comedy writer, I guess. Scratch, Scratch, a good character. And I think uh, there's, you know, he kind of looks like the dark. There's some dark crystal stuff uh, that I see in, in the character design. Makes me want to watch the dark crystal. Let's just have Scrat. He's all I care about out of all the Muppets. We just had him. Yeah. I would laugh at it probably every time. But they go too deep. They try to do too much with it. And it's consistently missing the mark. In Henson's defense, I suppose, and I can't believe I'm about to do this, the SNL writers did the writing and they kind of didn't want to. So I wonder if there might be some sabotage going on there. That's outrageous. But, that, that I, didn't, I didn't know. Why, would, uh, why wouldn't Jim Henson be writing his pieces? I'd say he probably had, like, creative input beyond. The Saturday Night Live writers are writing it. Like, I know, uh, what's his name, Rob Reiner wrote one. It's either Zweibel, Franken, or Davis, I think, that gets sort of stuck writing these time after time, and none of them like to. What a disappointment. That's a failure at the top. Somebody's in fucking charge of these guys. And I think there should be a better... Ugh, that just makes me mad. It's more of this, like, comedy politicking. I don't want to work on your shit, so fuck you. Yeah, because you're really working hard on those Pong jokes, Franken. <laughs> 
that, the that, other yeah, thing, stuff like that makes me mad. That makes me mad. Like hearing about Albert Brooks getting paid by the minute makes me mad. This is yeah. network television. Uh, this is a cool time slot. And this is a show that's trying to do new shit. And you've got a bunch of people acting like fucking children. When some people are here are trying to entertain, they're trying to make television. There's people that are obviously taking it very seriously. And there's people that are obviously trying very hard. And then there's, people like fucking al franken i guess because i'm i'm laying all of this muppet writing at al franken's feet all of a sudden which i shouldn't be but the point is is that the writers of these sketches should be putting a little more effort into it if this is indeed the case what what, what disappointing news lose lose a little respect there hearing that the the quote i remember from uh mr mike the the michael don michael o'donohue book his quote was i he wouldn't write for them at all because he said i don't write for felt <laughs> my good and i mean that's fine if you don't want to do it don't do it and then there's people that are being forced to do it and when i'm at my day job and somebody says do something i gotta go do it you know maybe they're looking at it like that maybe they're like hey you gotta go write the muppet sketch and they're like oh fine so they go write the muppet sketch but i'm I mean, at some point, you got a contract, you're on network television, you got a, you got this cool idea. Why? This is a cool idea. Muppets are on TV. And so Hanson wants them in space. Fine. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not in the writer's room. I don't know if Henson's being difficult. I'm sorry, Al Franken. I didn't mean to, to blame you. So that Pong sketch is still shit, though. <laughs> and Henson absolutely could be difficult. That's well documented everywhere that he was definitely a something of a tyrant at times and very particular about stuff. You've probably given the Muppets a bit more time than they deserve. At least these Muppets. They should just roll out Fozzie. You know, I was just thinking that. <laughs> I was like, throw out Fozzie with some really bad jokes that are intentionally bad. People would love it. I would have loved it. I mean, as much as I like Scred, and, and I do sort of like that character a little bit, but wheel out Fozzie or the two old men. Imagine that, the two, uh, Statler and Waldorf, watching this show and commenting. That could have worked. Heck yeah. So our next Chiron is a, a woman who was a roadie for Vanilla Fudge. The heavy psychedelic rock group um, from the period, or actually, hmm, I don't know if they, yeah, they were still active at that point. Um, yeah. Matt, were you a Vanilla Fudge listener at all? No, nah, not really. It's uh, it's a bit too, uh, it just doesn't do it for me. It's not, it's not artsy enough for me. Okay, I see. Yeah. Then we go to Robert Klein, another bit of stand-up. Uh, this one's about college and science and stuff. I enjoyed this one. I don't know if this was a bit he had done many times before, but it seemed to be sort of off-the-cuff stuff, and I enjoyed this. I mean, again, not awesome, but definitely worth the, the few minutes I invested in it. Yeah, I liked it better than, I think, the first round. Uh, I, you know, I definitely chuckled a little more. And he's he's good. He's not, a, for all my joking around, you know, obviously this man is a successful comedian. He's on fucking TV. Where have I been? I've been nowhere. <laughs> Nor am I out here comparing myself to Robert Klein on national television. My point is, this is clearly a good comedian that is just not doing my style of comedy and i dare say like i don't even think the style of comedy is particularly right for saturday night live but shit what do i know i have nothing to say about this i don't think i laughed at it um and i don't really remember it because i didn't find it funny the next bit we have is the price is right stamp gun it's basically your own pricing gun that you can bring to grocery stores and uh put a uh, stamp over the other uh, price that the grocery store has and save a few pennies this one just works for me because i just thought it really felt snl-y to me i thought it was cute kind of it's, it's sometimes they really pull it off sometimes it feels a little more immersive than others maybe that's what it is it's just some of them are just a little more a little more immersive for me and i think this was one of them thought it was funny this one hit home with me because of back home when i was a youngster at a local grocery store a woman was actually caught doing this um yeah yeah she had her own little pricing gun and originally she was knocking a few cents off here and there but then she got greedy and she got busted and it was all over town so uh, yeah it was a hoot you know good for (laughs) her though small town scandals eh things like that are why we have the uh, the universal price code barcodes these days <laughs> but yeah no she uh, she went in with her own <laughs> she went in with her own <laughs> pricing gun and was uh, was was changing prices on cans and stuff like that first you know 10 cents off a can of tuna 10 cents off a can of soup but then it was like getting like thing for like three or four dollars cheaper and that's when people at the cash were like eh, something's wrong here that's and then they were like, everything well i think she also originally took this is the story i got from my aunt who knew all the downtown ska originally she'd been taking the original stickers off 
<laughs> and then replacing the stickers, but she got lazy later and just started trying to put the stickers over the stickers. That's again. so funny. We then go to uh, Loudon Wainwright III again, singing his song Unrequited to the Nth Degree. This one's talking about how he's going to get revenge on a, a girlfriend or an ex-girlfriend when he's dead, and that he might just die soon and she needs to start treating him right. Didn't like this one. I really didn't. I thought the, the, the timing and the rhythm was off. I'll uh, I'll, I'll be brief because I know uh, that uh, Dee probably wants to say something about her new boyfriend. Uh, I didn't like it as much as the first one. Uh, I still liked it, I, and I'm still... Curious, this is not, uh, by this performance, I'm thinking, okay, you know, this guy's good. It's just not the style of music I generally listen to, which is fine. But uh, he's clearly very talented. D, did you enjoy this as much as you enjoyed the first one? Not as much as the first one, but I still gave it a 10 out of 10 because I'm just so excited by him. And I just enjoy him so much. I enjoy his stage presence. This man was the glue that held this episode together that's, he's what held it together that's totally fair that's a and you know i've had i there, there's definitely sometimes when what was the what was the other billy second? preston spoke to you the first time yeah 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 that's what i was trying to think of i'm like sometimes you need that tether that that link like you know what i can get through as long as i see billy again and you you had a another loudens and it's fine i think sometimes in snl history as we travel through s and hell that you're going to find that there are times. <laughs> Sorry, let me try that thought again. Numerous beacons of Numer- shining light. Numerous beacons of shining light in S and hell as you travel through the dregs, but not those dregs. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you need something to tie it all together. I'm really not articulating this thought very well, but uh, I get it. I get you. That's what I'm trying to say. I get you when you say that. Does he remind you a little bit of uh, of Harry Anderson? Physically, yeah, I can see it when I think of Harry Anderson and I think of uh, when I think of him. I don't. Uh, do you know who Harry Anderson is? No, but he reminds me of Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes. He has a lot of bright eyes sounds. Uh, I don't know if there was any influence there for Bright Eyes, but maybe I'm trying to nail down what what the whose voice it's like whose voice he sounds like, and I can't quite do it. So then we jump to looks at books. Jane Curtin hosts Emily Lutella, um, and this is the debut. This Emily Lutella comes back a lot, but in a, in a different context. And she writes a lot of books about tiny things, and she keeps saying little bitty, teeny weeny, tiny, insy bitsy, all that sort of stuff, um, and often loses track of where she's going with it. Again, I like this one. I thought Radner was great. I thought Curtin was great. Yeah, I liked it too. Jane's such a great straight woman, eh? Like when she's playing the host or when she gets to give that deadpan delivery, I, th- I think she really shines. Uh, I, I love Jane Curtin. I thought good performances from both. I love seeing the not ready for primetime players whenever they're out there on TV. And these are two of my favorites. I thought it was really cute. I could relate to the character that Gilda was portraying. I, I don't know who she was. I guess she was a real person. But I can definitely relate to just getting stuck on my little train of thought. Gilda Radner was a real person. Not Gilda, the person she was portraying. Um, and then we have a re-airing of the Ambassador Training Institute. Um, yeah, and then fun one. What's, what's with the re-airing? They re-aired commercials all the time, uh, even up until the 90s that I recall. They probably still do today. Yeah, they do, because uh, I know they, they still... Yeah, I guess uh, I know they, they, that they, they do. I guess I'm just wondering, what's up with that? We're only five episodes in. Like, why are you already... Paid, yeah, you're filler. paying comedy writers. Yeah, I honestly like in in this case, I have no objection to them re-airing this one. Objection is certainly the wrong word. Just I was confused. I, I was am I looking for another joke? Is there a different joke in this one? But of course, I'm not watching it as it aired. Once upon a time. So you know, this, the, I'm I'm skewed by the by the years mm-hmm. that have passed since in my, yeah. my confused take on this. Certainly. Yeah, we are sort of. I mean, we we are looking at it with like 21st century ability to binge watch because I, I guess this would have been three or four weeks in the difference. It's not on reruns, right? You miss that yeah. Saturday Night Live. You don't see it again until maybe the summer. Uh, so it really makes those things a little more magical, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know what? I'm okay with it now. So the next bit is a Robert Klein musical performance of I Can't Stop My Leg. How he can't stop his leg from stomping to the beat. He's done different versions of this. This is his blues version. It is him singing and it is him playing the harmonica. And I thought Klein had some pretty good chops musically. Definitely some good chops musically. I didn't really think it was funny. I didn't, and I, I don't like that kind of music. So it. Uh, so I sat through it. 
I thought it was fun. That's all I have to say. I thought it was a fun little bit. I always love high energy music. And then we go into another musical performance. We are back to the Titanic, where ABBA is singing. The camera tips as the boat sinks. So, yes, uh, ABBA was, it says right on the Chiron, ABBA is lip-syncing. It's not their fault. Their tracks didn't arrive from Sweden. So the backing tracks for Waterloo, which is what they're singing, didn't come. So they had to either, I guess, try an acoustic version, which ABBA would never have done, or they had to just lip-sync the whole thing. I'm not a huge ABBA fan. This, to me, just putting that Chiron up was mean-spirited. The putting them on the Titanic was mean-spirited. I mean, I don't want to be the guy to defend ABBA, but... <laughs> Knowing what's coming from Saturday Night Live in years to come, this whole thing was designed to humiliate ABBA, and and I didn't like that. You know, the show must go on, and there's glitches in live performances, and and they'll cover for anyone, and then this band comes that they don't want on the show, and I I thought it was petulant and petty, and, and, and I feel bad that I have to defend ABBA. That's where I'm at on that one. Yeah, no, Keith, I agree with you completely. Uh, I think this is petulant child behavior. You know what? I've already, I'm swinging back. Can I blame Al Franken for this somehow? Al this, Franken had nothing to do with this. One. Uh, fuck. No, you're, you're right. It was mean-spirited. ABBA, I think it just shows that ABBA went out there as consummate professionals and did their job, which is more than what you can say for whoever is in charge of this. It's, uh, it's embarrassing. It is mean-spirited. ABBA deserve better. They're international superstars. Show some fucking respect. I got to sit around and watch you suck Paul Simon's cock for a whole episode? You can't give ABBA five minutes of respect? Shit. Real shit. Disappointed. Kind of insulted. I have nothing to say about this. I thought it was so awkward. Knowing that it wasn't really their fault uh, makes me feel kind of bad for them. But I don't know. It, it was just so awkward. I didn't like it. Um, at least the first one felt surreal. This just wasn't good. Why do they think that fucking ABBA, they, they, like ABBA is just so uncool. ABBA's not cool enough for a mm. fucking hip comedy show. Are you kidding me? Robert Klein is hosting. You do not have a hip comedy show on your hands here. So you let ABBA go out and do their job like professionals. They're they're really up their own ass with this one, I think. And, you know, when you look at the guests, some are better. Billy Preston was better. Janice Ian, probably better, as far as our tastes are concerned. You're on NBC. They tell you they want ABBA on their show. That's the end of the story. A real low point. Look what ABBA is now. And many of these other, well, I mean, ABBA was offered, what, a billion dollars to tour about 10 years ago, and they turned it down. Yeah. Is ABBA schmaltzy? Is ABBA, in a lot of cases, everything a lot of people hate about music? Sure. But don't fucking embarrass your uh, your guests. They've only embarrassed themselves. Certainly as far as we're concerned. We're at that time of the night. Oh, no, just one more thing about that fucking ABBA thing. You know what I also hated? Absolutely hated? Robert Klein's mugging as the captain as the ship's going down. Like, making these faces like he's in a junior high dinner theater. I was so annoyed by that because I liked Klein throughout this episode. And and he kind of lost me there. I didn't even notice that. I wrote it down. I was like, why is the host making all these bizarre faces during this? It was really like that sort of stupid, like, I mean, Matt, you and I have watched a lot of wrestling and you don't see stupid faces like that in wrestling for Christ's sake. And some of those guys are the worst (laughs) actors on the planet. I don't know how I missed it. Oh my God. It's so, it's so annoying and obnoxious. It's almost worth going back to see. (laughs) It's like really bad French mimes, but uh, I don't even, oh fuck. It just pisses me off. I'm at my mat level of pissed off about this ABBA business. And I'm even more equally pissed that I'm actually upset at somebody doing wrong to ABBA. <laughs> so let's rate the host. How did Robert Klein, uh, as a host, score up for you guys? Four out of ten. Barely there. Could have been anybody uh, other than his uh, musical showcase. None of this registered for me. I'll never watch this again. Middle of the road. And and then sometimes less so. Three out of ten. I don't remember how his face looks, and I didn't laugh a whole lot. I'm a little more, uh, I'm a lot more positive than you guys are. I thought his stand-up was good. I think 
in many ways, this episode is maybe what the Carlin episode should have been as far as host integration into skits and stuff like that. He wasn't great in the, actually, in all of his sketch appearances, he, he wasn't particularly funny, but I did like his moxie to go and appear in the sketches. I Can't Stop My Leg, I really enjoyed. It was marred by his uh, his pulling faces on the Titanic, though. I'm I'm saying a strong good, but not quite a very good, maybe. Uh, let's rate the music. Loudon, Wainwright, and ABBA. Loudon was 10 out of 10 for me. I would listen to him again. I will listen to him again. I am going to listen to him again in my personal time and enjoy it very much. ABBA was awkward. I guess it didn't register in my mind as like, I know it was a musical performance, but it just felt like a forced awkward thing that I didn't care for. I would give Loudon a, I'm going to go six and a half out of 10 for me. Clearly a talented performer and songwriter. Just really not up my alley. ABBA, I am going to give a, you know what? I'm going to give them the same rating. I'm going to give ABBA a six and a half out of 10. It's not their fault that they couldn't do live on round two. They get pity points. Quite frankly, I'm probably giving them pity points uh, because of the ugliness that has come to light. I thought they sounded fine when they were doing uh, their their first one live. They sounded fine live. I so I had uh, you know they used a backing track, sure. And, you know if that's the least of the sins SNL musical guests commit going forward. Yeah, Wainwright was good. Bicentennial was smart. Didn't really like Unrequited to the nth degree. ABBA were ABBA. If you like ABBA, they're a ten. If you don't like ABBA, they're a zero or a one. Yeah, they were treated like shit. So yeah, I'm gonna throw some pity points in there too. Music was good across the board. Now our worst bit of the night. Uh, that sketch with Belushi beating women. <laughs> it has to be. That's probably, I can't imagine what's going to sink lower that than that for me this season. I mean, there's shit that's just not funny. There's stuff that's boring that I'm going to sit through and be like, oh, this is, you know, there's Chevy Chase being an asshole while, he, while Dan Aykroyd is out there, you know, being a fool. I'm not saying he's being an asshole. There's boring Albert Brooks films. And then there's just something that they, you just shouldn't have put on TV. It was the low point of uh, the season so far for me, let alone the episode. John Belushi for me as well. It was, it wasn't, oh, it, was, it made me so uncomfortable. It was yucky. That's all I have to say. I, I agree with you um, on that one. However, my I went a different way with this one, and it is the second ABBA segment. Now, normally I wouldn't apply music to this, but I'm, I'm throwing my worst bit award at the feet of Michaels and whoever wrote it and whoever did the Chiron. There's no need of that. And minor kudos to ABBA, who didn't know, but minor kudos to ABBA, who, could, who had the power to say, we're not doing this on the Titanic. Put us on a stage like everyone else. Yeah, ABBA are the big stars here. I know, uh, eh? But like I say, consummate professionals. They went out there and did their job, uh, which is more than we can say for the others. But uh, you're right. A- ABBA, <laughs> you could have pulled weight big time. You're fucking mm-hmm. ABBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the bit of the night for you guys. I don't know. I had trouble picking a favor for this one. Uh, I know it was pretty short, but I'm going to go with the Bicentennial. Garrett Morris makes me laugh consistently and gave me a little chuckle. It's uh, understandably uh, hard for you to pick, I think. Understandably hard to pick because the, I found the episode just so middle of the road that uh, it's tough to pull a favorite out. So I guess I would have to say I like Jane Curtin and Gilda Radner's bit with the talk show. Yeah, look, Looks on Books. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Looks on Books. Sorry, I forgot the title. Uh, but yeah, that, that was the one that uh, that sunk in for me the most this episode. For me, my my joke bit of the night is uh, Don Pardo said no Albert Brooks movie, but my mm-hmm. actual <laughs> my actual bit of the night is uh, is is the pricing gun. It just brought back so many great memories of downtown scandals, and I just loved the presentation and just how proud the actor was as she was holding that watermelon. I just really laughed at that. I, I thought it was a hoot. And your star of the night, Gilda Radner. Um, I'm going to go with Gilda Radner then for managing to make it through that whole skit with Belushi. That was gross and good on her for keeping it together. Gang, we've had a sweep tonight. Gilda Radner for me for making the absolute best of the absolute worst with the Peck and Paw skit. Her little bit about the fireman, which I, or firefighter, which I really liked. 
and uh, Emily Lutella in the uh, Looks at Books thing. She did three very different performances tonight that uh, that were memorable. I, I think, uh, and I'm not saying she's like a background player, but uh, it's the first time that I've noticed her multiple times in an episode, a little more front and center. And three very, very different characters too, eh? Uh, your, your, overall, uh, your overall thoughts on this whole episode? It was all over the place for me. The musical performances were great, and there were a few small bits that were really, really great to me. But overall, it just wasn't good. Um, I felt like it was kind of a slog. I felt like I was walking through mud trying to get through this episode. So four out of ten if I'm giving it a number rating. I will go five. It's just it was so bland. Just a really mediocre television for me that you know I'll, I won't revisit this episode and I don't I won't revisit anything from this episode. Pretty harsh on this one, I must say. Uh, just just a bit boring. Just a bore. Not a not even a bad episode. Just just boring. You know what? I said five. I, I need to go a little harsher though. I'd, I'd like to change my vote if I may. I would like to go four out of ten. As I think back on it, you know, I, I struggle to find highlights. I struggle to find highlights. During our recording, like it's, uh, you know, blood from a stone. There's there there wasn't a lot of laughter and and a lot of the void comedy spaces for me on this episode. A couple of highlights, but as a whole, didn't really work for me. Yeah, for me, I mean, update I thought was good. Um, it's getting time. It's it's timing is getting a lot better, even if the uh, the material isn't yet. However, they are doing some fun stuff with the photographs more so, and they're getting better at that. It just seems so strange from 21st century eyes that ABBA would be the ones they would try to embarrass as if they were Bush League. Well, what's up with that? Like, was it really just a disrespect? Was it really just that disco sucks attitude? Yeah, and and the fact that the uh, Dick Ebersol at the network forced ABBA on them. Oh, right. You mentioned that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, that It was the fact that they didn't want them there at all. Because why would you want fucking mega superstars on your new show i can't imagine klein in his defense his his stand-up was good and he fit in nicely with the 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 cast though he was forgettable he was out there doing what he could do integrated in with the cast which i i really appreciated i I uh, was uh I, i was feeling your point earlier this is sort of what the george carlin episode probably should have been a bit more like so i get that i i'm not out here trying to just keep shitting on Mr. Klein for being some boring guy. He went there and he did his job. <laughs> I gave this one a six. I, I think there was a, an effort there. Uh, things are falling into place a bit more. Yeah, I just, uh, I didn't hate this one as much as you guys did, but it's absolutely going to be, as we go on, a forgettable episode. Yeah, I, f- I forget it now. Yeah. yeah. Um, Robert Klein will be back. Loudon Wainwright, unfortunately, will not be back. Now, Wainwright continues to release music to this day. He's gotten some Grammy nominations and and at least one win. And he's been in a few movies and TV shows. Uh, The big ones that jump at me is he's done some of the Judd Apatow films. His children have all followed him into music. Uh, Lucy, his daughters, Lucy and Martha. And the one I know, Rufus Wainwright, is his his son. And Rufus has done quite a bit over the years. Um, A little trivia note for the Canadian listeners. Rufus Wainwright's mother and uh, Loudon Wainwright's wife, uh, Kate. They sang the song in the classic uh, National Film Board Log Driver cartoon. No way. Is that That's awesome. I love that vignette. So yeah, oh. that's cool, eh? And ABBA naturally will not be returning to Saturday Night Live. And uh, I, I don't think I have time to summarize their career. Um, but they've they've done well for themselves. The little band that could. The little band that could, even though they probably shouldn't. So uh, our next episode will be uh, episode six with Lily Tomlin and Howard Shore and his all-nurse band. So Matt and Dee, thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. And I would like to thank the listeners for taking the time to take off their parkas and their sweaters and sit with us in the warm embrace of S.N. Hell.